My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And you can probably notice right off the bat that Linnea has a little bit of a different sound quality today. This is true because I am currently sitting far, far away from Grace and Mark in uh, the comfort of my very isolated family cottage. (laughs) uh, Cabin in the woods. Yeah, to uh, prevent the spread or possible um, getting, I don't know, of COVID-19. As we've discussed in our uh, live videos on Instagram, if you've watched any of those, uh, I am immunocompromised. I have some really crappy lungs already. And so me and COVID-19 would just be a bad, a bad mix. So I'm staying nice and safe and Purelled and Lysol and quarantine <laughs> uh, away from Grace and Mark, sadly. But uh, we still, you know, technology is cool. And Mark, our amazing producer, who's also here with us on the show, so Grace didn't have to be all alone in the studio. Uh, Mark is also there to to also be in on this podcast. So, Mark, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, if, uh, normally I'm on the other side of this, watching you guys. Just make <laughs> hilarious joke after Just, hilarious joke. Honestly, we, we've really been hitting it out of the park. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's funny because before we started this, you had mentioned that you wanted me to be part of it from the get-go. Yes. And I kind of skirted that. Yeah, you were like, no, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the best idea. But without but, saying no, he, he never actually said no. He, no. Was, he just like convinced us that we were great. And then he'd just like cheer for us from the sidelines. But... We wanted him from the from the very beginning. So well, yeah. here he is. I'm here now, but I think I I think I made the right decision. You guys are, are great, just the two of you. Oh. And I, and yes, it is a special occasion, an unfortunate special occasion, I suppose, that uh, I'm joining you for this episode. But I'm happy to take part. Yeah, yeah, and for me and Mark, it was always a priority to make sure that Linnea was as healthy and safe as possible during this uneasy time um but yeah we you know make the best of a bad situation and uh have our first guest on sort of it's like a half guest oh no 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 we don't want to waste our first guest on me i don't count (laughs) our first third mic'd person join us on this journey (laughs) join us on this journey learn about canadian history yeah super exciting i am ready are you ready okay yeah so this week's episode which was just like an episode I picked randomly out of a hat, is Louis Frontenac, Governor Frontenac. Oh! Do you know that Heritage Minute? I don't remember that one at all. So this one's, it's an old one, and I don't think it aired very much in Nova Scotia. Um, I didn't really remember it. My dad remembered it, actually. I told him about it, and he was just like, oh, that's a good one. This isn't dig with the pie, is it? No, nothing to do with pie. So do do you know who Governor Frontenac is? Uh, well, I'm assuming it has something to do with the front, the hotel. Yeah, it's definitely, it's named for him. So he's the governor general of New France for a long time. So okay. that's when uh, what today is Quebec was called New France yeah. or Nouvelle France. And it's under the control of the French. That hotel is a big, fancy hotel. Oh, I yeah. went to pee in that hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, and, are you uh, sure? <laughs> you don't seem like you belong here. 
basically, basically, that I was like, I really have to pee. And, and so they let me go use the washroom and then I left promptly afterwards. Um, but yeah, that's my experience. Yeah. And so the Heritage Minute pertains to, so Quebec was sieged in like the 1690s by the British and it's essentially, the minute is really confusing. Actually, when I was doing the research, it's the only minute that they ever had to go back and add narration to, to explain what's going on because it's, it's not really clear what's happening. You just see a bunch of blindfolded British soldiers brought into Quebec. Then the, the person who is their leader confronts some guy who looks like a three musketeer and they start dueling and then governor frontenac comes out and he's like hey don't don't do that and then the guy the guy is is the british guy is in quebec to offer governor frontenac an ultimatum like surrender now or we're going to attack you and we're going to take quebec by force and governor frontenac responds with the line i have no answer for your captain fips except from the mouth of my cannons and muskets which that, that's paraphrasing the line but that, them's fighting words them's fighting words and i will say off the top the only cool thing governor frontenac ever did okay wait a second <laughs> okay. here is this just another case of, of us trying to make quebec look good again was this from the early 90s it I think is it was. from the early 90s i think it's more so like along the lines of like we want our previous politicians to like look really cool but if you delve into the life of anybody who's managed to obtain power they're almost always bad people yeah like if you're power hungry and you're seeking out like power and authority it's probably not because you're like a good person (laughs) it's such like a slim margin of people that come into power that are like i'm doing it for the right reasons (laughs) it's yeah it's usually people who kind of power thrust upon them and they weren't seeking it out yeah, and especially during this period in French history, it's just like, do you have the right name and do you have a lot of money? That's enough to get into a position of power. But uh, yeah, so we're going to do kind of like the life of Governor Frontenac from, from the beginning to the end. Are you ready? I love it. I'm ready. All righty. Sounds good. All right. Buckle up, Linnea. Buckle up. <laughs> I am buckled. <laughs> Louis de Bois, the Comte de Frontenac, was born on May 12th, 1622, which I think makes this the earliest one we've done so far, probably. That is a long, long time ago. Long, long time ago. The Bois were a noble family in France, and many of Frontenac's ancestors served the French royal family at different stations. Frontenac's early life is not particularly well documented. However, he likely attended a Jesuit college, which would have been the best education available. And like many people of his station, many young men of his station, he entered the French army and served several campaigns in the Thirty Years' War. And in February 1643, was commissioned as a colonel of the Normandy Regiment. During his enlistment... look at him just moving up. He's moving up. You know, money money makes... He's making money moves, as people might say. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, see, these are all the comments that Mark makes just off mic. So now all of our dirty laundry is going to get aired. It's all coming out. You're going to get to hear them. During his enlistment, he permanently injured his right arm in 1646, and he was retired from the army with the equivalent rank of brigadier. 
As to his appearance, we don't have any authentic portraits that remain, so we really have no idea what he looked like. Um, the best we can do is essentially look at what his family looked like. So the article I was using said that you should compare him to his grandfather, um, who was a small, wiry man with a wide forehead, a long, thin nose, hollow cheeks, and a narrow, pointed chin. So That's a looker. Detailed. That is a harsh way to describe someone. <laughs> that is not a Dr. Penfield. That is the no. opposite. He's not going to be a hunk. No. He's not going to be one of the Minute Women hunks. I'm going to tell you that right now. So out of military service, Frontenac resided at the royal court. And like so many of his station, he lived extremely extravagantly and well beyond his means. In October 1648, he secretly married Anne de la Grange. She was the daughter of a seigneur, so someone who's fairly high up in French society. Um, she was noted for her rare physical beauty. I love this. She's like rare physical beauty. And no one's looking good these days. <laughs> um, her portrait actually hung in the Palace of Versailles. So I don't think she's that well connected with the royal family, but her portrait is in Versailles, which is like, oh, wow, she must be really beautiful. Um, did you look at her portrait? I did not, but you okay. can look it up if you would like. Well, I just want to know what rare beauty is. Like, it, like <laughs> is this still, this seems like childbearing age. So I'm just like, oh, she probably just had massive hips. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we're talking as white as you can be. Um, yeah. We're we're like, mm, we're about like a century and a quarter before like Marie Antoinette and the French Revolution. So oh, if you're okay. thinking fashion, I would say like a more subtle version of that. I, I don't think they're quite as extravagant yet in in the like really exaggerated like dresses that were like bell shaped and like the crazy like pompadour hair say, and stuff. Probably a hoop skirt though. Oh yeah, for sure. For the upper okay. for the uppers. <laughs> she was also known for a very imperious temperament and she had a quick biting wit her father like you guys no oh, stop stop it but but keep going um her father was extremely opposed to the marriage uh and put many obstacles in the way of the two getting married including incarcerating his own daughter in a convent which is fun Ew. go with go live with the nuns for a little bit you can't come out you can't see the light of day oh we do have a little quarantine actually that's a little quarantine. Ooh, yeah, that that's awful. That is oh, yeah. incarceration. Religious quarantine. Religious yeah. quarantine. Um, that might be the worst type. Well, he found out that the wedding had taken place anyways, in spite of all of his efforts. And so in response, he ensured that his daughter would never obtain the inheritance she was due from her mother's estate. Aww. Which is cold. Ouch. Cold-blooded. Ice, ice cold. Ice cold. <laughs> Which I think is a good early sign that maybe Frontenac is not a cool guy. But we're going to get into that a little later. <laughs> Ooh, a little bit of foreshadowing, A little maybe. foreshadowing. I'm excited. <laughs> Wait, you mean the minute didn't depict him the way he actually is in history? <gasps> Shocker. Shocker. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like minutes aren't the most accurate representations of history in the world. But that's okay. We still love them. What? No. <laughs> We love them for their melodrama, not for their accuracy. So the couple would only have one child during their marriage. His name was Francois Louis, and he was largely raised by the family's servants. So not very okay. attentive parents. 
Uh, the Not young, a good daddy. It, yeah. It doesn't seem like he's very involved in the life of his child. The young couple took up residence in Paris and spent all of their time at the court. So Frontenac's extravagance was even extravagant in like the court's eyes. Like the people he's hanging out with are like, whoa, this guy is going to like the extreme in terms of like wealth. Um, he hosts all these like really extravagant dinner parties. Uh, he whenever he's like at dinner or supper, he's always complimenting like the food that's being served at his own table. Like he's like my staff and my kitchen is the best in Paris. I'm always like trying new things there. Like the original Gatsby. Kind of, well, yeah. I was thinking, like, like have you ever watched the movie Rocket Man? Very much like Elton John. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> comparison. But, like, as we'll get into, Elton John... Featuring feathers. <laughs> Maybe in the aesthetic, but at least Elton John has, like, talent. Like, this dude, I'm telling you, not a whole fired. lot going on. Okay. By 1664, Frontenac had accumulated 350,000 livres of debt. So livres is the French currency. It's French for pound. That's a lot of money. And he was forced to legally bind himself to pay off the debt within four years, which he never intended to do. Instead, he evaded creditors by accepting an appointment of lieutenant general in the Venetian forces in Crete, which were defending the island against Turkish invasion in 1669. And it wasn't long before Frontenac began arguing with other senior officers, and he was promptly dismissed in September of the same year. Ooh, so we he had does a... not have a good track record with employment. <laughs> no, he doesn't get along well with people. Yeah, it doesn't seem like yeah. he likes people that much. <laughs> no, I don't think anybody likes him. And so he has this like brief Greek adventure and then he comes back to France. Three years later, Frontenac accepted the position of governor general of New France. The pay Why was... do they give him that? Why do they think he should have this job? Because he's got money and he's got a name. Yeah, Linnea, we went over this, and I know it's frustrating, <laughs> but it happens all over history. <laughs> Mark okay. is just the bad news bear. <laughs> <laughs> so he, the job doesn't have a lot of prestige, nor does it have a great pay, but it did block his creditors from attempting to seize all of his property which he had written into the contract. So he's like, I'll go do this job in New France if you write into the contract that creditors will not be allowed to take my stuff. And they're like, fine. So he's not stupid. He's not stupid. He's just extremely self-serving. Okay. He's a little greasy, as us Maritimers would say. He's a little greasy. (laughs) He's a little greasy. He's a little greasy. (laughs) A little greasy, yeah. So on the 28th of June, 1672, Frontenac sailed from La Rochelle to New France. His wife and son would not be accompanying him, but this wasn't totally uncommon given that his wife would actually be more of use if she stayed in Paris and represented the family's wants and desires in court. So she can speak on his behalf in person in Paris. Also, like, I mean, who would leave Paris for Quebec? Especially during this time. Like, sorry. There were rumors that the couple was very unhappy. So there was a Mademoiselle de Montpensier who thought the two argued and she rumored that the two did not share a bed. But this is purely derived from gossip. How did that make it into the history books? Because historians are not like historians are human. 
I love that. Like this they just woman's want to talk like smack. Only pro- she only pops up in history right there. <laughs> Gossip. I love that. Yeah, she, she's also the one that was like, oh, at his dinner parties, he's like so full of himself. Like exactly, that's who she is. <laughs> and she's a mademoiselle. Oh. She's not married, so. Ooh. Ooh, we can we can, you know, make fun of we her. We can too. drag her all we want. <laughs> let's drag, <laughs> let's drag Mademoiselle de Montpensier. <laughs> <laughs> Frontenac arrived in Quebec, the capital of New France, in early autumn. So we left in June. That's a long trip. Yeah, like I know to get from La Rochelle to Louisbourg is I think like three to four weeks. So then you yeah. gotta go down the St. Lawrence River and like that's a whole summer. And in the 1500s, they also weren't like prime navigators yet. Like they that's were true. trying their very best, but like things weren't mapped out and things were new. So I'm sure it wasn't that's as true. smooth as it would be today. I'm sure Frontenac was like, "No, we have to stop here. We have to stop. I need I, to have a picnic. I have to buy some new furs. I need to buy some new furs. This mink just isn't working anymore." <laughs> Exactly. I want polar bear. Um, <laughs> the seasons change. Yeah, they're like, color. they're just like, there's no polar bear here or during this season. And he's just like, make it work. Um, <laughs> so it soon became apparent that Frontenac did not understand that his office did not give him dictator like control over the colonies and that there were actually limits to his power. So he's not dealing with that very well. Frontenac yeah. had control over the military and he had a veto power over the decisions of other officials, but that was only to be used during very extreme cases. Otherwise, okay. he always had to defer to other people. So he has to defer to the Conseil Souverain and he also has to defer to other officers of justice in the lower courts. And all matters okay. concerning justice, finance, and general administration were not in his control, but were in the they were to be dealt with by the intendant of the colony. So that's like a pretty well, common gonna, structure. He's just a name. People don't trust him. <laughs> and but he he comes in and he's like he really only has control of the military, and he does have a power of veto. Like he has an executive office, but he comes in and he's just like, well, I'm a run shit. Like this is my town now. <laughs> And so basically his whole political career is people telling him, no, you can't do that. Yeah. No, stop that. Please stop. Stop that. that. (laughs) However, two months after Frontenac's arrival, the intendant resigned and left for France. So the person that essentially co-runs the colony with him has resigned. Uh, Colbert, (laughs) who is the Ministre de la Marine, which is just the royal minister in charge of the colonies, He failed to appoint a deputy to the position, and he also failed to provide instruction on what to do until someone else is hired. So Frontenac assumed that all these powers were now his. Oh, of course. He was not subtle about his new power. Oh, no. (laughs) Frontenac wound up in conflict with the Conseil Souverain, the governor of Montreal, and several leading families in the colonies. Of course he did. Mar- I'm not surprised. <laughs> Are you surprised? I'm not surprised. Are you surprised, Mark? I'm wondering why we did a minute about this guy. <laughs> That's a question I ask myself once a week. <laughs> <laughs> Most of these disputes were related to the fur trade. 
A few years before Frontenac's arrival, peace had been established between France and the powerful Haudenosaunee Confederacy. So Haudenosaunee is the indigenous word for Iroquois. So Iroquois is not the word we would typically use anymore. It is like the colonial word for it. So Haudenosaunee is their kind of more common name. But if you know them as Iroquois, that's what we're talking about. So the peace that had been established between France and the powerful Haudenosaunee Confederacy made it safe and possible for Canadian fur traders to go west and obtain furs. The former intendant had a policy of expansion and sent parties further and further west to claim lands for France and establish relationships with other indigenous groups like the Hurons, the Ottawas, and others. Ultimately, the former intendant had wanted to establish a vast fur trading empire, but Colbert, the minister of the Marin, had opposed this, believing they needed a strong base of operation in the St. Lawrence River Valley before expanding. So that's everything that had taken place before Frontenac had arrived. And Frontenac okay. did not care about any of it. Oh, of surprise. So he knew there was money to be made in the West. Before he had been in the colony for even a year, and without informing the minister of his intentions, not to mention obtaining authorization, he established a fur trading post on Lake Ontario at the mouth of the Cataraki River and established a fort called Fort Frontenac, which is now Kingston. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. You know what? Okay. I mean, Frontenac, we've established. Bit of an asshole. Bit of an asshole. He's a you go-getter. Yeah, you do have to admire his can-do attitude. <laughs> can do attitude is just like i don't give a shit like he's just like, he's just like walking around the world with middle fingers <laughs> up like he's, he's just like i can and will do whatever the yeah. fuck i want someone someone shows him the rule book and he's like i don't see a rule book and then he walks away and he i can't read <laughs> <laughs> i i am such a rule lover like i love rules I want there I to be order, and this guy is everything I hate. He's Donald Trump. Like, he is Trump right now. He's just like, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do whatever I want, mostly for my own <laughs> personal benefit. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. We got ourselves yeah. a Trump up here just 400 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's always been bad. That's what you learn about history. It's always been bad. But that always means, been so you know, bad. <laughs> we are at the best time in history. In some ways, day. we are, for sure. It's like last episode, like people who are like, oh, I wish I could like time travel to like revolutionary France or I could time travel to like whenever. I'm like, no, 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 no. Open a book and read any account and just realize that there's shit in the streets. <laughs> like that's life. And I don't want it. Yeah. Well, I have a low bar of expectations in my life and shit in the streets. It's lower than my bar. We were talking about this today because my mom was like, yeah, you know, for weddings, brides didn't carry flowers because they were pretty. It used to be so that, like, they smelled good because people smelled so bad. Yeah. And I was like, you could, I do not want to go back to a time when it was, like, chill for people to smell like garbage and filth. Yeah, 100%. No, thank you. Especially when there's, like, there's this period in history where they think that like taking a bath is bad for you. Like they think that cleaning yeah. is not good for you. Like it took a while yeah. for us to figure like basic stuff out. And I'm just happy that I live in a time where we figured out that showering is good. 
The increased competition in the fur trade was not welcomed by the people of Montreal, especially their governor, Francois-Marie Perrault, who saw Frontenac's attempts to gain control of a large part of the Western fur trade as direct competition and encroachment. So essentially, the people of Montreal, who are further west than the people in Quebec, are annoyed because they feel like the Quebec people are like stepping on their turf. And you can make a bunch of money in the fur trade, so they don't want anyone taking their cut. In response, Frontenac had uh, the governor of Montreal arrested for no real reason. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's a <laughs> Who listened to his orders? <laughs> I guess, like, that is the one thing that I kept, like, I'm like, who keeps, like, doing what he says? <laughs> but they keep doing it. They're like, I guess we got to go arrest the governor of Montreal? <laughs> I guess. What did he have over these I people? Guess. Yeah, he had he had dirt. He had dirt, <laughs> and probably Dudes. their paychecks. But like, yeah, oh mm, yeah, probably fair. their money, paychecks. Money moves. Has not the, uh, even their paychecks. <laughs> their little their little hands of of gold coins. Money for the poor. So Perrault, the governor of Montreal, was left to defend himself in front of the Conseil. Back in Montreal, a member of the clergy, the Abbe Fenelon, spoke out from the pulpit in criticism of Frontenac's actions. Frontenac had him arrested, too. Eventually, word of all of this reached France, and Louis XIV and Colbert had Frontenac reprimanded. Colbert now took steps to appoint an intendant to fill the power vacuum Frontenac had abused. At the same time, the governor-general's power to appoint members of the Conseil Souverain conjointly with the bishop was removed. So previously, he had some control over the Conseil, which is essentially like his his council, his legislative house, um, okay. because he could appoint members to it. But they had to take that power away because they're like, you can't just arrest people all the time. Like, we have to make sure you don't have as much power as you had before. So, which is the best decision. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that they're they're stepping in. They're like, ooh, that's the other thing. There's a big time delay. Like it took him three months to get to Quebec, and he's the highest authority in the colonies. So anyone who can reprimand him, they're all back in France. So it takes months for them to respond to any of the garbage that he's doing. <laughs> he's just running off the deep end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like they need like any kind of intervention that needs to take place takes forever to actually happen so he kind of has the right. run of the mill for a while so now that he can't appoint members to the consai they're basically a independent body and they can defy the governor on occasion uh frontenac hated this and he didn't make naturally yeah and he didn't make working under the new system easy for anyone he immediately engaged in fights with the new intendant and the consai on one occasion he arbitrarily imprisoned the clerk of the court on another, he had a Montreal judge who had annoyed him incarcerated for two months and fined 200 leave. And then during the winter of 1678 to 79, he attempted to reduce the intendant and the consai to subservience. So essentially, he's just trying to take control of, over those positions again. The, if there were like political cartoons during this time, yeah. there'd be like a cartoon of him laying on the ground just like kicking and screaming like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like at this point in his head, he's like, I'm going to be the king of New France. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, I really, like, it doesn't seem like he ever is, Never, he never wants to, like, be more powerful than the people in France, but he needs to have 
all of the authority <laughs> in this yeah. colony, in this little bubble that he lives in. He needs to have all of yeah. the power. So the dispute of the 78 to 79 began when Frontenac claimed that his powers were being denied by the king's declaration of 1675 to preside over meetings of the council. So in 1675, the king had declared that he can't appoint members anymore to the Conseil. He can't preside over their meetings anymore. The Conseil denied his demands and he exiled the attorney general and two counselors and ordered them back to France. So as soon as someone disagrees with him, he's like, jail. Go back to France. Bye. (laughs) Just get them out of the room. (laughs) During this time, the work of the Conseil Souverain was completely disrupted. Only one of the three officials that he had forced to go back to France actually ever went back to France. But this official was able to give an account of everything that had been taking place in Quebec. And Louis XIV and Colbert agreed that Frontenac was definitely in the wrong. So, The only reason that he didn't get fired at this point is because his wife and friends at the court are using all of their influence and power to make sure that he doesn't get fired. And they're assuring the king and Colbert that he's not going to do anything like this ever again. They're like, he's going to be better. We promise. We're really going to rein him in. He's going to be a good boy. He really is a child. Yeah, he's, he's... it's his parents having a meeting with the principal. Yeah. And they're like, I swear he's not going to skip class again. I swear he's not going to go up to the teacher and say, you're not the teacher anymore. I'm the teacher now and force her to leave the room. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> So the Kansai had won this debate with Frontenac. And now they be- began prosecuting some of Frontenac's associates for infringements of the royal edicts governing the fur trade. So they're feeling confident. They're like, all right, we have the king and Colbert on our side. We're going to go after some of Frontenac's supporters. During the expansion of the fur trade, Frontenac's associates came into conflict with the Haudenosaunee, who were determined to seize the Ohio Valley area for themselves and had the strength to resist French encroachment. The Haudenosaunee became increasingly hostile with the invaders and began attacking tribes who had allied with the French or were under French protection. When these tribes went to Frontenac for help, he refused, obviously, because he's a jerk. <laughs> They're like, hey, you, so you said that if we allied with you, we would get protections and stuff. And he's like, hmm, no. JK. JK, I was lying. <laughs> Instead, he tried to appease the Haudenosaunee, which merely emboldened them to begin pillaging French canoes and attacking French posts in the West. At the same time, the Hudson's Bay Company was inducing indigenous groups to stop trading with the French and trade with them instead. French fur traders called for Frontenac to intervene, but out of fear of coming into conflict with the English, Frontenac did nothing. Wow. So So when push comes to shove. Exactly. Like, now we've got, like, fighting going on, and he's like, oh, I don't want to. Wow. And he's just like, um, guys, guys. I'm I'm a little scared. I'm just going to hide under my mink furs and just not help you. <laughs> Frontenac continued to fight with everyone around him. The Jesuits, who Colbert did not like because he believed they wielded too much power, complained that Frontenac too freely used brandy in the trade with indigenous peoples, which they believed to be sinful. So the Jesuits are a really powerful religious sect or a sect of Catholicism, and they believe that the Europeans freely using brandy to conduct trade with the indigenous peoples is immoral. Shocking. It's weird when people have a moral compass in the past. It's just it like, weird. It's a little like so abrasive. Things, well, it just yeah, makes the immoral so people look 
that much so worse. So much worse. Yeah. It's like it's really nothing about the time. It's just, you know, you know, like people had a good sense of what was going on. Like I think that's the thing that people do to like to write off racism in the past. They're like, oh, but they didn't understand. It's like, no, 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 no. They knew exactly what they were doing. (laughs) Frontenac and many others used brandy frequently to facilitate trade. Louis XIV eventually tried to settle the dispute with a compromise decision, which was easily evaded, and consequently the clergy continued to complain of Frontenac's attitude. He's just got so much attitude. (laughs) He does. He really does. Frontenac, in turn, did his best to discredit them. Additionally, Frontenac kept inducing violent quarrels with the intendant and the consai souverain. In 1680, Colbert informed him that all the public bodies and many individuals were complaining of his tyranny. <laughs> I love him getting that letter. It's like, so just, it's like an <laughs> HR meeting. It's like, so we've heard from some of your coworkers that you're not the easiest to get along with. <laughs> you're a little bit of, well, actually the word Carol in accounting used was a dictator. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrannical was the word thrown out. Um, <laughs> several times. Several times. So let's just talk about that for a sec. So let's just hone in on that for like two seconds. (laughs) If he did not change his ways, he would be dismissed. But Frontenac proved incapable of heeding warnings or orders. In violent displays of temper, he imprisoned the first teenage son of the intendant and then an elderly member of the Kansai Souverain for what he claimed were failures to show due respect for his person. It yeah, it's just also super pretentious. It's like you did not show due right to my person, <laughs> rather than like you just don't respect me. <laughs> it's uh. it therefore surprised no one that he was dismissed from his post and ordered to return back to France in 1682. So he's gone. They're like, finally, Bye. we got rid of him. Bye, boy. So Frontenac left the colony in complete disarray for his successor, the Fébère de la Barre. He was unable to stop the Houdanashoni, so he was forced to make peace on their terms. And as a result, Louis XIV recalled him as well. So his successor is like doesn't have the military strength to fight the Houdanashoni. And so he's forced to make peace with them on their terms. And Louis like, that's unacceptable. And he's instantly fired. Instantly. It took... Frontenac's so long to get fired, and this guy makes one mistake, and they're like, nope, gone. (laughs) And not even a mistake. He just made a political decision. He made a decision. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the next guy sent to be the governor was Monsieur de Brise de Denonville, and he was sent with a considerable body of troops, and this helped him managed to bring peace with the Haudenosaunee on the French, like the French's terms. So they have enough military force that the next time they make peace, the French get to dictate the terms. Before this treaty could be ratified, however, the War of the League of Osberg broke out in Europe and the Haudenosaunee learned from the New York authorities that France and England were at war before news reached Quebec. So before the French have time to respond, the British have already told the Haudenosaunee that like, hey, wars on and they so that allowed the Haudenosaunee to launch a surprise attack on the settlements at Lakin on the 4th of August 1689 and this caught the Quebec Canadians completely off guard heavy casualties were inflicted and many farms were destroyed so wait basically 
the English were like, hey, France isn't paying attention right now. Yeah, like the British, like, I think the reason is just like the British are further east. So they get the news first. And then they were able to enlist the Haudenosaunee to attack the French before the French were like, even before the French even knew that war was happening. Meanwhile, back in France, Frontenac was trying to convince everyone that he deserved another appointment. He deserves another shot. His creditors finally got a hold of him and seized most of his property. Because remember, the reason he left in the first place was because he was in so much debt. He was living in modest means for his standards when word from the colonies arrived in 1688 of the conflicts that had been taking place and the proposal for a combined land and sea attack on New York. He was probably living in a castle. Oh, yeah. He was like, oh, living in modest means. He's in a castle. He's only got two butlers, not six. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He has to walk up the stairs. He doesn't get carried. Yeah, like, I'm sure his, his, and, and like, he's like, vomiting at how poor he thinks he is right now just puking (laughs) he wakes up in the morning he's just like (laughs) instantly (laughs) and they're like oh god and there's only two butlers to clean it up instead of six (sighs) yeah Um, it also didn't mention anything about his wife so like he's back for the first time in like i think almost a decade and it really doesn't (laughs) mention his wife at all he's just like yeah i've moved on Um, so uh, there's word there's word going around that there's going to be this joint attack on new york as soon as england declared war on france louis the 14th had accepted this proposal so he accepts the proposal to attack new york and frontenac was appointed to command the expedition i've got to imagine they just keep giving him jobs because they don't want him around they're like please leave (laughs) like get out of our hair fair go home don't they I mean, don't they want to win this battle? Or are they just like, yeah, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. It's New York. Whatever. <laughs> so the basically the reason they send him is and also when he is given the command of the expedition, they're also like, you can be governor again. <laughs> so <laughs> we're back to governorship as well. But what happened to that poor guy who made one decision and they got rid of him? He's probably a beggar on the street. He's probably like lame this. <laughs> Blame isn't it up. He's probably he's already like, cut off all his hair and he's given away his, his teeth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Essentially, the reason that they appoint him is because they saw that the colony had kind of fallen apart. But by fall apart, they mean like they met, they made peace with the Haudenosaunee on their terms. But in their eyes, everything is falling apart. And they think that even though Frontenac was bad, he was the guy holding it all together. When in reality, he had just set all of those disastrous things in motion and then left before he had to face any of the real consequences of it. But they were just like, oh, I guess Frontenac was actually doing a good job. The other reason they put him in command is that the war is not just happening in the colonies. It's mostly happening in Europe. And so they need their most veteran military commanders actually defending France. Canada is like way less of a priority. So like in terms of military office, it's, it's way less of a way less significant in their eyes. Yeah. So the expedition was delayed six weeks and did not reach Quebec until October 12th. By then, it was too late in the season to begin their assault on Albany and Manhattan, and the situation around Frontenac was not looking good. The French needed to defend against the Haudenosaunee attacks, be prepared to attack the English colonies, and provide support for indigenous allies in the West. 
But there were some positives for Frontenac. Uh, Frontenac had a sizable force now of 1,400 men. He had an intelligent group of counselors around him. And now his own relative was in the position of minister rather than Colbert, which gave him more connections. So Colbert is no longer the minister of the Marin. What happened to Colbert? I think he might have died. Frontenac just outlasting everyone. He's just really just outlasting people. But now his own relative is in that office, um, which is ultimately a good thing. But Frontenac was instantly like so jealous. (laughs) He's just like seeing his own relative in a really high position in the court. <laughs> exactly. He's like, well, what about me? Um, but seeing his own relative in a position with that highest status made Frontenac really jealous. And so every year he would ask the king for a better job. Every single year he writes and he's like, can I have a better job, please? Can I have a better job, please? And every year that plea was never responded to. <laughs> just <Finally>. silence. <laughs> but he just yeah, assumed he got though. it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. He's like, I'm king now. <laughs> It just Whoa. waltzes in like the twentieth straight year of promotions. <laughs> he keeps adding chevrons to his coat. <laughs> so Frontenac attempted to arrange a peace settlement with the Haudenosaunee. He greatly overestimated his influence over them, however, and their only reply was to torture to death some of his emissaries. Uh, so he sends, um, like, some emissaries to go talk with them. And, like, the Haudenosaunee are historically, like, the most militant indigenous group in the yeah. in North America, at least. Or at least kind of in Canada. And so, yeah, they like, he just assumed that they would, like, roll over. And they're just like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you guys are dead. <laughs> <laughs> we have some murder uh, on the plate. <laughs> Love it. And after they killed the emissaries, they started attacking Canadian settlements. So, like, oh. like they, it was such a joke to them that they were like, all right, let's just, like, destroy everything. It was determined the easiest way to confront the Haudenosaunee would be to cut off their supply of weapons from the English who were arming them. And that's the other thing. So the, the Haudenosaunee are allied with the English. And so the English are like, great, attack the French all the time, please. Here are all of our guns. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Just do it. (laughs) Three war parties were formed in January 1690 and sent to attack small towns along the border to spread fear and raid for supplies. So this is the French attacking like border settlements. The successful attacks raised morale in New France, but it also united British colony forces to prepare for retaliation. So though it is like a short term benefit in the long term, it's just the British being like, oh, okay, these guys have like come to play now. It's time for us to, like, ally. Their plans called for a large force of militia from New York, New England, and Maryland to unite with the Haudenosaunee for an attack on Montreal, while a maritime expedition sailed from Boston under the command of Sir William Phipps to attack Quebec by way of the St. Lawrence River Valley. So we've got... That's tricky. I'm going to tell you right now, that is a tricky route to take. Yeah, and there's no, like... There's no chart of the St. Lawrence River until like James Cook during the Seven Years War. That's like a hundred years from now. So the French like Quebec is so well secured for so long because there's no charts of it. And the French just have connections, essentially, like fishermen who can help guide them up the river. The British don't have any of that. Um, Well, and I mean, now in modern day, there's like locks. 
to the river yeah and from from the ocean that like allow you to, so that it that like that's just crazy yeah but like you know what sir william phipps he's like i got this i'm gonna sail this boat all the way up that river all right you do you but due to poor planning and an outbreak of smallpox the attacks on ah. Montreal needed to be sidelined. So they're going to have a land attack on Montreal and a naval attack on Quebec. But they've basically got to write off the attack on Montreal. And the reason you do that is you split French forces. So when okay. Frontenac gets word that the land attack is going to be canceled, he just moves all of his forces to defend Quebec against Phipps' naval attack. So it's really working out for the French right now. On the 16th of October, an officer from the Boston fleet came ashore and was taken before Frontenac and his senior officers and officials. So this is the Heritage Minute. Like, we are now at that point. The emissaries delivered an ultimatum from Phipps demanding the surrender of the colony within the hour, failing which Quebec would be taken by force of arms. To this, Frontenac replied with the ringing phrase, I have no reply to make to your general other than from the mouths of my cannons and muskets. Which, knowing who he is now, it's, <laughs> it just doesn't hold the same weight, does it? No, but it's it really like doesn't. it's the only cool thing he ever did, and we made a whole heritage minute about it. <sighs> I thought that was like badass, but now I'm just like, oh, this guy sucks. <laughs> you gotta imagine, he's like, well, I have no reply for your captain other than from the mouth of my cannon. <laughs> right? Like that's mm. definitely. And I'm gonna go hide in my safe house. You guys have a fun little war. (laughs) (laughs) But it just goes to show that you could be the worst person. And if you get one good line, history will remember you so fondly. Like, you just need a catchphrase. People's attention span is so short. You just need, like, a cool catchphrase and everyone's, like, down. The best part is that, like, that line didn't even lead to, like, a big battle or anything. There's no, like, big fight that happens afterwards. Ultimately, there's no, like, decisive conflict that takes place the french just kind of waited out the british siege so the french just haul up in the fortified town and then the british are like well we can't successfully siege and they leave the british would not launch another full-scale attack on canada during the war and frontenac's forces fought a guerrilla war against the Haudenosaunee for the remaining seven years of the conflict so it's like a decisive victory for the French, but it's not even like exciting. It's not explosive. And he kind of just stumbled yeah. upon the victory, like a lot of things in his life. <laughs> yeah. It's just him complaining and whining to get stuff or, yeah, like him just stumbling upon the solution. Everything about yeah. his career is timing. Is he Sir John A's dad? <laughs> <laughs> Tripping and fumbling and falling into being governor general of New France. Exactly. Uh. We were actually talking earlier about uh, the Sir John A episode, and we were saying that Isabel, who's our, our whisper wife, who would whisper to get people really close, she would not be doing well right now. The social distancing no. thing, she would not hold up. She would not. She'd, yeah. This would be torture for She'd her. She'd be very sad. <laughs> she, yeah. Sadder than she already was. <laughs> the Canadians quickly became as adept as the Haudenosaunee in this forest war of ambush and stealth attacks, where to be taken prisoner meant subjugation to the worst forms of torture that could be devised. Frontenac was not responsible for the vast majority of the successes that took place during this time. <laughs> well, I'm glad they mentioned that part. <laughs> yeah. I added that. Let's make that clear. Yeah, you <laughs> added that. I added that line. Uh, Grace is the real historian, the real MVP of... <laughs> historian i'm just a real like savage historian just like shredding people 
that I don't like. Frontenac made the most of his colonial life. Um, so he's not in Paris, but he makes the most of it. He entertained lavishly and often enjoyed when officials from Montreal were forced to meet with him at his house rather than the other way around. So he loves okay. forcing people to come to Quebec. <laughs> he had you're a- going to love it. You're going to love it. Please come over. I'm just so lonely. He had a large entourage at the Chateau de St. Louis, a corps of guards, two or three secretaries, a chaplain, a physician, and a large number of servants. He was also very popular with the ladies of Quebec because of the big parties that he would throw. So he's like the center of social life in Quebec for like the upper classes. And so ladies are like, oh, he's having another party. They're going to rouge their cheeks and then they're going to throw on a hoop skirt and head on over to Frontenac's crib. (laughs) During the winter, amateur plays would be held at the Chateau and some of the parts were taken by the ladies to the horror of the clergy. So I think this is still during the time when like men would be all of the actors in plays. Like in Shakespearean plays, it's men play every single part. What? Do you not know that? No. So in the initial runs of like any Shakespearean play, like Romeo and Juliet, it would be all dudes. Why did they think that was a good idea? (laughs) Because women shouldn't, we already talked about this kind of in uh, the Marconi episode, his mom, like theater is associated with like sex work and lower class people. Right, 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 of course. So that has like uh, a big holdover. Yeah, not ladies. So, yeah, I think it's this is still kind of during that time. I don't know if that's true. But clearly the clergy is very upset that women are partaking in the plays. On one occasion, when the bishop learned that a play called Morellier Tartuffe was being played, which is this biting satire on religious bigotry, the bishop raised this big outcry and excommunicated Jacques de Moreux, who was going to be the leading man in the play, And he also had the whole colony in just like an uproar over the fact that this play was going to be taking place. Louis XIV had to intervene before calm could be finally established. So not only is he like, I mean, whatever. I don't think that's a huge deal. But it's just like he wants to like cause shit in every aspect of his life. It's not just his job. Like even social life. He's just like, I'm going to make this hard for everybody. He He just likes to stir the pot. He's a shit disturber. Exactly. During the remaining years of the war, so this is still the war, the war of the League of Osberg, Frontenac also expanded the fur trade. Under the guise of military activities, he sent large forces to Western ports each year, paid for by the crown. It soon became apparent that Far from serving any military purpose, these expeditions merely afforded an opportunity for Frontenac and his friends to gain wealth by trading furs. This expansion is, yeah, so essentially he's just like, yeah, it's for military purposes, wink. Some rich guy getting his other rich friends richer. Yeah. I've never seen that happen. That doesn't happen anymore. Rich people taking advantage of war to make money? What? This expansion disgruntled the old middlemen of the trade, the Ottawas, who were now being pushed out. So before, the French had to operate through indigenous groups. So they interact with the Ottawas, who would then interact with the Western indigenous groups to collect the furs. But because the French are moving further west, the Ottawas are getting pushed out of the whole trade. Uh, Worse still, the Canadians began trading with the Sioux, the traditional enemies of the Ottawa, and supplying them with firearms. So the French just like, like, he just doesn't know what he's doing. Like, he can't manage, like, relationships with other nations at all. (laughs) 
It's like the easiest thing to do is just like not upset them. <laughs> like you have a good thing going. Oh. But he's like, nope. So the Haudenosaunee saw the writing on the wall and they approached the Ottawas to form an alliance against the French. This put all French operations in grave danger, but Frontenac was slow to react. So he's not appreciating the political climate that his dealings are creating. He's not seeing that the Haudenosaunee are now like allying with other people to like attack the French, essentially. The Haudenosaunee, while negotiating with the Ottawas, had kept the French inactive by entering into peace negotiations with Frontenac, who believed them to be sincere. Despite the efforts of the governor of Montreal and the intendant trying to convince him that he was being duped. So, like, everyone can see what's happening except for Frontenac. And Frontenac's like, no, these guys are good. They're honest. I got this. And they're like, no, they're, they're lying this. to you. The Haudenosaunee are lying to you. <laughs> It was only after the Haudenosaunee had brought the Ottawas to terms, then renewed their attacks on French settlements, and after Frontenac had received direct orders from the minister the Marin, did he undertake any campaign against the Haudenosaunee. So it takes them, like, it takes him so long to figure out that he's being lied to. <laughs> he's just not smart. He is so dumb. So dumb. So, <laughs> so dumb. dumb. So Frontenac was now 74, but he insisted on participating in the events and was carried through the forest in an armchair. Like literally the joke you made at the beginning of the episode is our reality. I (laughs) hate that so much. (laughs) Frontenac watched as the ashes of the villages the French had burned were further raised and any food stuff was either stolen or destroyed. With their work done, the army returned to Montreal. This set the stage for the next few years as the Haudenosaunee resistance was broken. Canadian forces increasingly attacked their villages and destroyed their supplies. The Ottawas also waived their treaty with the Haudenosaunee to ally with the French again. Fighting would continue between the French and the Haudenosaunee until the end of the war in 1698. For some weeks in the autumn of 1698, Frontenac had been in poor health, suffering from asthma. He had to sleep propped up in an armchair, and his strength now began to slowly ebb away. By mid-November... Finally! <laughs> finally! This is how he was going to die. This is the first death that we're just like, oh, finally! Why couldn't he die sooner? Uh, by mid-November, he realized that his end was near, and he calmly prepared for it. He made peace with his old antagonists, the intendant, the bishop, and on the 28th of November, the bishop administered extreme unction with the anointing of the sick. So that's like your final right as a Catholic. Shortly afterwards, he died and he was buried in the Church of the Recollects of Quebec. Today, towns, monuments, and buildings all across Canada and the U.S. are named for Frontenac. There's even a military base in Afghanistan named for Frontenac. What? Yeah. Obviously by people who only saw the minute. (laughs) Who only saw the minute because in all honesty, he was a major asshole. And that is the life and times of Governor Frontenac. (laughs) Yeah, he was so pompous. Definition of pompous. If you look in the Canadian Encyclopedia, it should be a picture of Frontenac next to the word pompous. (laughs) He just has no redeeming qualities as a person. There's No. no, like, nice thing I can say about him. He had one cool line. He had a cool line. That was it. Did he even say that? Are we even sure? I don't. That's, yeah. Who knows? Maybe he didn't even do that. Right, because nothing came of it afterwards. Like, it, I don't think it's confirmed. <laughs> We're gonna make yeah, this a this minute women lame. mystery. So, how did you like it, Linnea? How do you feel about Governor Frontenac? He is a jerk. <laughs> uh, 
very much at all. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad for the poor lady that he married. I'm glad that... At least she just got to make money and, like, not see him ever. That's the thing, yeah. I feel like she just got to live live life large and not have to be around him. So good for her. Yeah, yeah. She's she's ultimately the winner in all of this. But I just... Honestly, maybe Frontenac's the winner in all this because after all (sighs) the bullshit he put people through... He got to die peacefully because of old age. Yeah, that's true. He's definitely the winner. And he has a bunch of stuff named after him. And, like, people just don't question it. And I think that's part of, like, that's the thing. Like, I, obviously, like, monuments and stuff are significant. And there's a reason we have them. And there's plenty of good people that have monuments and things and places named after them. But I do think it is something that you don't think critically about. And you don't, like think about twice so you know you have chateau frontenac it's like okay that's just that's a building you know well think about especially here in halifax what we've dealt with with cornwallis yeah absolutely and for a really long time people don't think twice about it until you get another perspective which is why it's so important to have like minority voices and stuff because they're the people that can you know they they have a different memory of those events than we do. But even I think people in Quebec would be like, yeah, Frontenac was a jerk. <laughs> like, I just don't, I can't see anyone hearing this story and being like, because he doesn't even have Quebec's best interest at heart. Yeah. He just has his own interests at heart. <laughs> even the Quebecers are like, yeah, we don't really know why you made that minute either. <laughs> yeah, like, they didn't want it. <laughs> and uh, I will say that I made a mistake, guys. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, and now that I've like learned more about this minute, I definitely went and peed in the Chateau Laurier, not <laughs> Chateau Frontenac. <laughs> I was in Ottawa. <laughs> and that's thank you for that clarification, Linnea. <laughs> the type of and on that note, content I'm here for. <laughs> and, and, yeah, that's the type of content I've subscribed to. <laughs> and on that lovely note. I just wanted to conclude this episode by thanking our producer, Mark, for joining. Yeah, uh, thanks thank for coming so on, Mark. Mark. Well, thanks for having me. We love you, and we want our listeners to love you as much as we do. You are. <laughs> yeah, we've been You're trying to get him on from, like, day one, and he's, this is the first time he's actually said yes. Well, I'm just such a fan of the chemistry that you two have, so oh. I've been uh, less inclined to kind of break that chemistry up. I hope I, hope I did okay today. You did good. Oh, you did, great. you did great. You did good, kid. You did good, kid. Better than Frontenac at the very least. Oh, for sure. For Way sure. better than that, dude. Yeah, what? we can all be better than Frontenac. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Life be goal, better. Be better than Frontenac. Yeah. Be better than Frontenac. Okay. Uh, just a reminder to go follow and subscribe and download our podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, give us one of those five-star ratings and a review maybe if you're feeling like it. We don't have a lot to do during this quarantine, so uh, <laughs> go give us a nice little, nice little five star review. That'd make our day. So, and you can go follow us on Instagram at Minute Women Podcast and Facebook, same handle. We're doing lots of extra content given the quarantine situation, so we're doing a bunch of Instagram live videos, Q and As. We've also started doing mini sods on our Instagram. So last week, Linnea taught me all about George Orton, the greatest Canadian athlete you've never heard of. It was super I interesting. Did. Highly recommend you go listen to that. And you can also follow us on Twitter. We've actually been using Twitter now. It's that's lots yeah. of fun. Uh, so Twitter handle is at the Minute Women. 
And always feel free to shoot us a direct message. We love to hear from you guys. We love to know uh, what you think of each episode and connections that you can make with the Heritage Minute. So we hope that you're all staying safe during this kind of scary time and you're reaching out to loved ones and friends and staying connected, even though we're all supposed to be socially distancing. And we'll hopefully see you next week. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you.